Talk. Identity. And access. Management. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. This is episode number 29. If you're interested in identity and access management talk, you've come to the right place. Jim and I are on the road uh, this week and taking the opportunity to talk with our friends, Katie, Amanda, and Marcy. Hello, ladies. Hello. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. So uh, before we get too far, we're going to talk a little bit about IAM, obviously. Um, I would like Katie to explain to me, as a Chiefs fan, why my 49ers are going to beat them on Sunday. I did explain this earlier, and I think that the 49ers do have more tools in their tool case than the Chiefs do. I really hope the Chiefs win, but um, I have kind of my, my bets are hedged towards the 49ers. Okay, I can, I'll, I'll take that. See, and that's interesting because I don't think that the 49ers have that many tools. I think they're a run-first team with defense, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, hopefully I'm pleasantly surprised by that. Do you have a score prediction? Oh, let's see. I do not. Okay. I, high scoring, low scoring? I, I am assuming it's going to be high scoring, and I just hope that the Chiefs don't get behind and have to play catch up. Mm-hmm. That is where I see them possibly falling a little far behind. Yeah, they don't want to be in that position again. True. All right. Anyone else have Super Bowl predictions? I predict that the um, commercials are going to be good and that the halftime show will be excellent. Who's playing halftime this year? Shakira, Shakira. and okay. JLo. And JLo. Wow. Okay. I will be on a plane, unfortunately. I am stupid and booked travel for the Super Bowl, so I'm not happy about that. So hopefully I'll catch the fourth quarter. Um, Amanda, what do you think for the Super Bowl? Well, I predict that the uh, traffic is going to be really good going up to the Upper Peninsula <laughs> and coming home. So Not interested. Since, since Green Bay is I think gone. my Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, oh, is going to engineer a big-time comeback in the second half. I mean, did you see what he did against Tennessee? Yes. I mean, they were down 24 nothing, and erased that and just annihilated them. Mm-hmm. I mean, he can take over a game, and, uh, and with Kelsey, it's like he can look like he's about to run it and then throw it five yards, and they pick up 10 or a touchdown or whatever. So my prediction is Chiefs by a touchdown. Chiefs by a touchdown. Okay. Dream come true. All right. Well, we'll see. Um, so let's bring it back to IM because now that we've got a cheesy pun in already from Jim and his Mahomey comment, uh, we can actually start the podcast officially. Um, so by I wanted- the way, I wanted to say something. So you started off by saying we have our friends on the podcast. I just wanted to clarify, these are real world friends, not like Facebook friends, right? Yes, this is all uh, electronic voices like we used to do for the uh, intro um, yeah, things like that. No, there, there are live Real human people. beings sitting in front of us in this conference room that we have graciously commandeered from the team here. So let's talk a little bit about identity and access management. Katie, let's start with you. How did you get into the space of IAM? I guess let's, so you're right now you're, you're leading an IAM team. Yes. How did you get into IAM? I kind of stumbled into it. Okay. Um, I was getting out of management in a claims environment and I wanted some space to grow my technical skills, and I was not sure where to go, and there was a a job that opened up in IAM, and I thought I'd give it a try, Mm -hmm. and I've been there for 10 years now. 
10 years than I am. Yes. That's pretty neat. So that's, that really kind of goes back to the first episode that Jim and I did was how did we get into IM? And I posited that most people stumble into it and most people didn't just start an IM. Um, Marcy, what about you? How did you get an IM? Um, I have had many jobs over the years and I've been pushed into every one of them. I never applied for one. Um, but the biggest, um, the biggest um, push was when I was a business analyst. And um, at that point, we took over all of the manual um, access management and um, did all of the certifications. And um, at that point, then our business analyst um, in practice and systems that folded and got pushed into creating the identity and access management system that we have today. Hmm. So what was the first system that you remember provisioning? Answer. Yeah. And, oh, that's it. That's yeah. the name of the, the answer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Or RACF. Okay. RACF. So it was a mainframe based type yeah. thing. Gotcha. And Amanda, what about you? Well, I actually started out for going to school for uh, dentistry. And then I quickly switched to the IT world, had an internship, found out I was really good at taking something, not knowing anything about it and figuring out how to figure it out, I guess. Uh, I've actually have 10 years in IT experience and three of those have been within security. I've been with IAM for about nine or let's see, 11 months, so. So still relatively new to the space. Yeah. But lots of IT experience. One observation I just wanted to put out there is obviously you guys are women. <laughs> so what do you think of IAM as an industry? And you know, a lot of the conferences I've been to, they'll have tracks or sessions on women in the IAM space. And you know, the I've attended a few of the sessions and kind of gotten built the opinion that it seems like it's a good industry uh, for women to kind of build expertise and, and have that opportunity to kind of um, shine and, and work up the corporate ladder. And I'm, I'm wondering if you kind of feel the same way or you don't think that's the case. Well, it's just a space that hasn't been taken over by men yet. <laughs> and, I agree with that. That's a good one. Yeah. And, I, and I think it eventually it is becoming more technical as it becomes a hotter topic as we go through breaches and giving the access to the right people at the right time. And those are security aspects that all companies need to be aware of. And I think it eventually will become a more evenly split. Right now it's, I think it's more women just because of where it has come from. Like, we're taking over from provisioning low JDBC applications, let's say, or other applications that nobody else wanted to, or security thought, well, we don't have to do that. And IT is like, we don't have time for that. So let's put it in a shared service. And I think women have been in the shared services department for a very long time. And now it, since it is becoming a, a hot button item, I think it will even out, but yes, women should stay in this field and keep it growing. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Marcy? I think that um, over the years, I have also seen what Katie has seen where we um, are, the women always did all of the manual work. Um, <laughs> and we, um, 
didn't like get that opportunity to move out of that. Um, and like I said, I got moved into the next job. I, I got moved from here to here. Um, I could have applied out, but I enjoyed what I was doing and I want to just take that further. Yeah. What do you think? Well, <clears throat> to go back a little bit, what, growing up, my dad had three daughters and one son and he treated us all the same. So he said, anything your brother can do and I can do, you guys all can do, us girls, and you better do it better. So I grew up with that mentality. So going to a male-dominated uh, college for my undergrad, you know, I, I did not make it myself very quiet. I was, people knew me. And so I, you know, I don't see the same things Katie and Marcy have seen because I've only been in the industry about 10 years and I've had different experiences where, you know, there has been women in technical roles that have been my mentors and I've had that opportunity to see that. So, you know, I, I definitely understand where they're coming from and I see that now, but I just, I've always been told I can do something that guys can do and I should do it better. So I'm wondering, so you mentioned that you had a lot of um, female role models and mentors, and now do you feel that, you know, you have a responsibility to do that as well? And then what would be the advice that you would be giving to somebody as a mentor or a role model? Absolutely. And I do feel empowered from my female mentors I've had, starting out from when I went to Michigan Tech up in Houghton, Michigan, and one of my favorite professors, uh, her name is Dr. Bush, and she was one of my, seriously, one of the best mentors I've ever had. And she really empowered me. And she said, your, your passion seems to be helping other people. So she recognized something I didn't even recognize. And the way I spread the empowerment to other females is I actually teach at a local technical college and I teach IT courses and security courses. And there are not a lot of women in those classes, but I also take the time to spend extra time with the women so that they understand that this class, just because there are more men in the class, that they should not feel intimidated. And we have lots of conversations outside of the class so that, because a lot of them wanna just drop out of the class because they don't think they're gonna do well. So I do spend some extra time trying to empower additional people. And actually, there are, I think, three or four of my students over the last three years that work at the same company I do right now. That's really cool. Marcy, do you have any thoughts on that? Like what advice you would give to somebody who's wanting to get into this space right now? Um, get into the space, do it. Um, just take, your, take it by the heels and go. Yeah, I know you're going to, um, you're planning on going to the Gartner conference later this year. Have you been to some conferences in the past and kind of what would you recommend in terms of people, you know, do you think that they should try to go to conferences even maybe before they have corporate sponsorship? Oh, definitely. Um, the conferences that I've been to have given me um, a big outlook on um, security as a whole and where I am fits in there. Um, in that in that space, and um, I think 
when I first started doing just access reviews manually and, you know, I didn't see that big picture. And the more um, I went to these conferences and um, listened and, um, and I was just amazed at, you know, how much that space really is. Yeah. What about you, Katie? I think going to conferences is very beneficial, but another thing we should do, not just going to conferences, is reaching out to, I guess, the internet to try to find who is doing it best. Can we learn from other companies? Um, are there programs or are there just you know articles that you can read to send you down a new path? Because I think a lot of the time at conferences, we get caught up with other vendors or technologies that may not be the right fit, but they seem to be the right fit at the conference. Mm -hmm. You know, so we need to do a lot of research and and find out what's the best for our company. Right, and you're in a leadership role. Um, what about in terms of mentoring or you know helping to you know identify some people who are wanting to. Um, move up in the world or move up and get involved in IAM. Do you have some people that you're helping or, or do you, how do you approach that? Do you actively approach or just, uh, you know, opportunities as they come? So typically it is opportunity as it comes, but when somebody reaches out to me and they want to find out what kind of a skill set you need for IAM or what kind of a background might you need, really that's the opportunity to say, you know, we would, for our company, you need a broad knowledge of what we do, um, the applications that we use, and somebody who has been around for a while, it helps to know the ins and outs of the company. And you know what kind of access a, a certain business unit might need versus another business area. So having, I guess, tribal knowledge of a company is important. And I know that Amanda, has come from different areas. Marcy has come from different areas. Our unit is, has many years under its belt. And I think that has been helpful in shaping our program. Yeah, one of the things we talked about was relationships, right? And mm -hmm. using those, and I used the word exploit recently. Yes. <laughs> Exploiting relationships to get things done. Um, is, do you have any ex examples of where maybe you've talked with you know, somebody that you know from another area that you built a relationship with and have been able to get what you needed to get done because of that? I think it happens every day. Every day. Um, there are business areas that come to us with an access problem or um, certifications they typically have. And like when we are helping them get something set up, or we're helping them with their certifications. If you have that personal relationship, it's it's easier to say now you can. We're handing you this gift, which is I am. It's easy to use. We can help you with it. As we continue to grow as a an I am program, we will be enabling our business areas to fish, mm -hmm. and so they'll be able to do it themselves every day rather just than just showing how to do it once. Mm -hmm. And actually I, so we talk about the business areas, but as far as our relationship with IT, I saw a need, I don't remember if it was in October or not, 
uh, I actually got, so my significant other also works at the same company and we don't have an on-call team for identity and access management yet or at that point. So they had called my significant other, our internal operations center and got his number, called the house and had asked me to help them because they actually, there was some access that was missing and then we, I ended up uncovering some groups that were unnested, which was preventing issues. And I saw a need to, one, put us out there that yes, we do have an on-call, we offer that, you know, we are those, we are technical, we can answer your questions. And so, so far we haven't had a lot of calls, but you know, we've had big projects where I've been on board, online, ready as we roll out new projects. So. How important do you guys think training and certifications are in this space? Is this something that's just nice to have? Is this something that you need to go to a class and take a test or you can do on your own? So whatever your thoughts are on that. Well, I think training is important. Yes, I agree. What about certifications? Are there any certifications that you think are helpful from an identity perspective at this point anyway? Well, I'm studying for the Security Plus mm -hmm. that I'm going to be taking end of March, beginning of April. And there is a section in there on identity and access management. And I do find studying for this very helpful. So with my background, I went to school for management information systems. And so I have that foundational understanding of IT and security at a foundational level. And there are things that I have taken above, but I also graduated 10 years ago. So learning more about the security in the most recent time has been really beneficial for myself and listening to my coworkers talk on the operations side or the engineering side. And it helps me be able to interpret, interpret what they're saying and be able to explain it to the rest of the team, my team. And if you have that foundational base, then you, your technical skills can keep growing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what, what we get is on the job training. And then it inspires us to get a certification or you know, is it a designation like mm -hmm. we have here. Yeah, and there are very few identity specific certifications mm -hmm. still at this point. There are some around, um, you know, being a IAM manager or things like that. Um, there's an organization called ID Pro um, that is in the process of, I think, developing, you know, another certification around that. Um, so it's still a relatively new space, but I agree that I, I look at it from a holistic perspective where if you understand security as a whole and where identity fits into that, I think that helps to have those conversations so that when you are having conversations with other people in security or in the business, it's not completely foreign to you. Well, and one of the things that I have said recently is we need to know where we're going mm -hmm. and get ahead of the game because our IT teams are not slowing down. So we need to know what technologies they're moving to so we can talk the talk when we're in the meetings with them. Yeah, that's one of the, um, the points that really resonates with me is that especially with in the DevOps area, like some of the fundamental things that I knew early in my career about servers and networking and data centers, those things are becoming passe. Now it's containers and 
instances in the cloud, you know, I, at one point in my career, I thought I'm going to become a storage expert and I got certified in HP storage arrays and think about it now it's so commoditized. I mean, I'm sure there are still people out there who actually work hands on with those things, but they're few and far between. Now you just think of that as a commodity. It's just, Hey, I get a hundred gigabytes at, at Google for 99 cents a month. <laughs> so, uh, I think, you know, one thing is you need to be flexible because what you think is going to be hot today might not even be a thing 10, 15 years from now. Uh, but I also think that um, somehow we have to figure out how as IEM professionals to um, figure out what these changes are. And for me, I say this on our podcast probably every week, so I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but YouTube. I mean, you can go onto YouTube and learn anything you want. You can learn nuclear engineering probably on YouTube. I haven't tried, um, but you can definitely learn about how things work in Amazon and, you know, how Kubernetes works and Docker and all those things are changing the landscape of IT. And for IAM, we're going to not be relevant if we can't adapt our understanding of how things work to this new world. What is, so what is the future that you guys think from a IM perspective? Five years, 10 years down the road, like how do you see your roles changing in that time? Are we still gonna be using access request systems and provisioning RACF accounts and Active Directory accounts? Is, it, is Siri and Alexa gonna take over the world and someone's gonna say, hey Alexa, give me uh, you know, access to this thing. As like, long as they've been pre-approved. As long as they've been pre-approved. <laughs> I mean, how do you see you know, the, the identity space change, like your job changing over the next five, 10 years? Loaded question. <laughs> I, I will be honest, after you know working with you guys and the engagement, uh, you came on site to do with us. I am really excited that I really am hoping our IT area really starts thinking about IAM more than just manual, manually adding access. You know, I, I really want to see us be a part of their plans and that's what I'm hoping, hopefully before the next five years. I can't say 10 years because I only set, I only goal set for five years at a time. So I'll go with the five. I want to be, have us more ingrained in their process within the next five years. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think we will be moving toward more of a governance role because with AI technology and machine learning, you know, as things become more integrated, you know, your badge when you sign on could give you all the access that you need. Or when you log into the system, that one login is all the access that, that you need at that point. Mm -hmm. So I can see us moving into more of a, a governance, you know, now that you have the access, you know, are you using it appropriately? You know, are you logging in so many times, you know, moving to a, to a different space? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've, I still see us doing this all the time, Jeff. We say, I am is who has access to what? That's becoming an old definition. It's not only who has access to what, but what do they do with that access or how is that access being used? I think that's kind of Katie's point, which is 
you know, who has access to what, it, it's not enough. It's not enough, but it's, I like to use that definition still because mm -hmm. typically when I'm having that conversation is people who aren't as familiar with identity access management. And don't have, it don't have control over who has access to what yet. I mean, you right. can't go to level two until you've got level right. one under control. So if you're really trying to explain it and you want to make it in dead simple terms, my mind, I am, it's still who has access to what. Anything past that, it's still I am. It's who has access to what, when did they have access to what, what did they do with that access, all that other stuff. But I think it's part of tailoring the message to the individual. If I'm talking to someone who's never done anything at all with identity and access management, I'm not going to throw things like conditional access and behavior analysis and all this other stuff. I'm going to speak in, you know, hopefully terms that make sense to them. But I agree from the perspective of knowing who has access to what isn't good enough anymore. Yeah. It's the starting point. And then at this point, it's almost a given. I mean, I think one of the things I heard at Gartner um, in December, what, at least one of the things that I thought I took away was most organizations, that Gartner's assuming that the organization already has a relatively decent handle on who has access to what. So if you don't even have a system or a way to know and answer that question, you're already, you're, you're more behind than I thought you were yeah. <laughs> as of November versus December of last year. You're below the assumption of baseline. Yeah, exactly. And that, yeah, I mean, another thing we heard at Gardner was baseline is now MFA everywhere. Yep. Not many of the organizations <laughs> I work with, is that true? Right. And I'm not saying that they're not right, that that's the way it should be. Because I do think that you need to have conditional access. In other words, you know, you could be prompted for multi-factor anywhere that you access systems. We talked a lot about mm -hmm. this on the last podcast, but I don't think that most organizations are there yet. No, I think it's aspirational. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what we got to with what Katie was talking about with the, the move, to, the way IT is changing, moving things out to the cloud, especially infrastructure, the way the DevOps process and being able to push code from like GitHub and all the automation and robots and non-human access that's taking place, that is the game changer. And that's what's making privilege access management not more important, it's always been just as important, but harder, mm -hmm. harder to do. And I think the old solutions and the old way of looking at privilege access just isn't keeping up. And so the solutions are going to have to evolve, like you know, the, the major IAM platforms or new platforms are going to have to come along to be able to interrogate the environment and say, here are the gaps, here are the, the place where security is not tight enough and create a dashboard so that, you know, IM teams can go out and manage it. And I, I see some vendors already seem to be spotting that. One other thing, and I've talked about this a few times is that I see a lot of the IM vendors encroaching on each other's space. Mm -hmm. And so you see vendors who were traditionally IGA or access management or privilege access management, starting to provide capabilities of the other. And that's not even to mention ITSM systems, so like ServiceNow marketing themselves as doing identity and administration and governance. And it's like, okay, well, you guys can cover like 6% <laughs> of the use case requirements. Right. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you have that capability. And you know, one of the points I like to reference is look at Gartner. If you're not listed in Gartner's quadrant 
in terms of having that capability, there's one of two reasons. One, you don't, or number two is you don't have the, the customer base. The second one you can understand, especially if it's a new player in that space, they might not be able to check all the boxes in terms of you know, actually having um, coverage in terms of the market share. But in terms of not having the coverage in terms of functionality, if you don't have that, you don't have the, you don't have, you, you don't belong calling yourself an IGA solution or a PAM solution. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's important why when you're reading Gartner reports is to not focus just on the magic quadrant because a lot of that is also sales-based. So when you're reading something like Gartner's report, make sure you look through the entire thing because at the bottom, they'll typically have kind of like an honorable mention section where they will indicate, yeah, this, this company has a great product, but they don't have enough customers. So they're not on a magic quadrant and they could be buried kind of in there. But I do see a lot of organizations that are promoting themselves as an IGA product and they don't have the G. <laughs> so, you know, they don't do governance. And I think of things, I'll pick on Okta a little bit here. Okta sometimes will say, oh yeah, we do IAM. You know, they can do provisioning and access management and a great other thing. That's a great product. They don't do any governance. They don't do access reviews, access certifications, et cetera. So I think it's a little bit disingenuous when they'll say, oh yeah, we play in the IAM space. Yes, but they don't handle the IGA space. That's different because, you know, they may partner with SailPoint or something like that. The interesting thing with them is where they, the amount of functionality they have is either enough for organizations that are very simple or it's a major differentiator when it comes to customer IAM. Mm -hmm. And that's what sets them apart from a lot of other customer IAM vendors is that a lot of them are just 100% access management and their assumption is your user lifecycle management system, whether it's a registration system or delegated administration is gonna pump information into an AD or into our cloud directory. And then we're just going to authenticate people and do conditional access. Whereas Okta actually has some capabilities mm -hmm. around that. And so that I agree with your point. It's like Okta is not Okta plus SailPoint. Mm -hmm. SailPoint is, has way more functionality, especially when, the, when it comes to the G. Mm -hmm. However, they do have enough functionality to set themselves apart from a lot of their traditional competitors. Mm -hmm. Yep. From a solution standpoint, one thing that I also see is this concept of, oh yeah, we're a cloud product. And I'd be curious to see what your guys' take on this because a lot of organizations will say, oh yeah, we're, we're a cloud vendor. And when you talk to them, really kind of dig into it, what you start to find out is they're not truly a cloud vendor. They're not multi-tenant you know, SaaS type solution. They're more of a hosted model. At the end of the day, does it matter? So let's differentiate. So one model would be something like Salesforce, where all their customers are in the same application and what they call multi-tenant SaaS. So it's like an apartment building. Whereas the other model is what we call um, cloud hosted. So we're gonna spin up a few servers at Amazon and we're gonna create an instance for you of our software and we're going to call that cloud. Do you care about the difference as a, as a consumer? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we have, 
we care because we have PII information and PHI and with the California Privacy you know act that's coming out that actually it is live now yes. we anyone that we do business with um, within California they can ask how their data is being used and if we go with a provider you know that's someone else's hosting we don't know how they are encrypting their data are they obfuscating what they need to so we do definitely care so would you actually are you seeing that as a preference toward the individual like amazon instances that are hosted versus the apartment building I wasn't sure which side you're coming down on basic based on what you said. So the Amazon piece, yes. I think that they have enough checks and balances. The other pieces are if someone is hosting the information for this, this third party and they don't know how they are protecting the data, that's where I think we would have an issue with it because that is, you know, data classification issues. So, you guys have any opinion on that? No, but I have a question now because if we are in the cloud and we are using certain, I guess, say we're using SailPoint, and I know that in our engagement with Identropy, we've talked about. Um, so predictive analytics and data analytics, can those, I guess, modules protect us from internal breaches? Is there anything out there right now that is good enough to say, we can, we can protect your data from an internal or even an external breach? Because, you know, we like to say that you know, they don't log in, <laughs> they, don't, they don't break in, they log in. Right. So. So I think it's, it's a little bit of a, of a question to ask of what are you trying to detect? Because at the end of the day, all of these machine learning analytics, behavior analysis tools, easy for me to say, um, require data. Mm -hmm. So the data is typically in the form of a log, syslog, whatever it may be. And those systems will ingest that information and parse it faster typically than a human would, or they're more tuned for identity type events than maybe a traditional security event monitor type, type tool. So the question then becomes is where are the logs and can that capability reach that log, whether it's direct connection or it gets put onto a share that's, you know, that, that can get connected that way. So are there tools that will, that will, detect and you know identify identity events internally yes mm -hmm. same thing for the cloud um so i think it, it makes a difference though of where the logs are at okay so if you can send all your ad logs into the cloud which is kind of a no-brainer because it's the way a lot of them works right. then yeah there's probably something to be done there but if you're adverse to sending that thing to the cloud because you don't want it to lose control of that data now you're in a different ball game because are there analytics tools that you can run in your own environment that do not have a cloud component? I'm not so sure about that one because even the, one, the ones that I'm thinking of still require some connection to the cloud to do that processing. Uh, that's probably something that I should 
probably take a look at it RSA in a few weeks and I'll be out there is sort of almost like an offline um, uh, analytics tool. And the way that I'll, I'll kind of put an example there is this is the way Apple does a lot of their encryption on the iPhone and iOS. A lot of it is done on the device itself. So that data never leaves the device. It's encrypted and secured before it gets to even Siri. So when you're saying, hey, Siri, send a man a text message, um, it's figuring all that out on the device first and then initiating the cloud API to actually carry out the service and it's already secured. So the idea would be then if you take that same type of concept to not to, to you to doing some sort of behavior analytics, you would have to have it all on-prem or cloud prem like okay. within your firewall and then do you have enough instances to run that because that could be very data intensive and now it becomes a matter of okay well do i scale up my own cloud infrastructure you know and do i need 40 instances of machine learning running to be able to detect this or do i send it up to the cloud and yeah. have someone else figure that out and we are moving to the cloud mm -hmm. i mean and, and that train's not going to stop but uh, the cloud do, is a fad. How do we get there safely? <laughs> is you know that's that's one of the things that comes back to us mm -hmm. as I am. How do we get there and still protect the data? Mm -hmm. I feel like you have to do your due diligence with each cloud provider, and you have to have somebody like on your security engineering team who digs down into how are you going to keep my data secure, not only from the public, not only from other customers, but even from your own engineering staff. How do I know that your database administrator is not going to take my customer list and dump it on the dark web or sell it to some hacker or something like that? So you have to do all that due diligence. So, um, you know, I was in the financial services industry before coming to, um, before getting into consulting and kind of the general view was, you know, we're not putting our customer information in the cloud. We're going to keep it all on-prem. But, you know, then you just have all those controls that you need to maintain yourself. And you might say, yeah, we're, we're good enough to do that. But then when you kind of figure out like, okay, well, all the application functionality is moving out to the cloud, financial services had to get okay with putting their data up there. And the way they, they did that was really by interrogating the cloud vendors and cloud vendors are used to doing that. So it's not like you're going to be, you know, annoying or anything like that. If you go out and ask these tough questions, especially what I would recommend to start by putting together some kind of checklist of a hundred or 200 questions of like, how do you do this? How do you do that? So and we actually, we do have that. Do you so have that? Okay. Our governance risk and compliance team does have a security assessment that they do on all vendors that we work with. And based off of the level of data classification, so whether it's restricted data or highly sensitive or internal users only or public, will depend on what type of assessment is generated for them to fill out. So based off that assessment, it's then they work, the security risk team then works with the IT area, infrastructure, security engineers, uh, security architects, and make sure that they're understanding and we are we are doing the right thing by picking the right vendor based off of the assessment. Right, and this is why shadow IT can be such a problem because you know, somebody in marketing, not to pick on marketing, but somebody in marketing takes their credit card, gets an online service, 
skips the security assessment, starts putting customer data in the cloud, and hasn't gone through a security assessment. No good, that's just not going to work. Mm -hmm. But back to the, um, the topic we were talking about, about multi-tenant SaaS versus um, you know, individual, kind of the hosted model, which you know, I've, I've known a lot of people to call it cloud washing, because really they're saying, we're in the cloud, and really all they're doing is installing their on-prem software at Amazon, saying it's, it's in the cloud. And I guess where my preference comes down is, and I'd rather be a multi-tenant, you know, at a high level. And I say that because then you're going to upgrade the software. You're going to do it more often. And you're, you know, I'm not going to have to go once a year and do a, a big upgrade process, right? You're constantly maintaining it and, and everything like that. And so um, my preference is toward that. But I will say that... I think companies that go the other route in some ways have a strategic advantage in that they've built this on-prem system for years and years and years and to move to the cloud, all they did was they started installing it at Amazon or, or Microsoft Azure. And that really means that like the software didn't take us a big step back. We know the sale point has kind of gone the route of rebuilding as a, as a, multi-tenant SaaS. And I don't think the jury's in, in terms of who's going to win. I think, strategically they they said listen we're doing things the right way and building a multi-tenant SaaS and philosophically I agree with them but their competitors just take their software and put it onto the onto a, a cloud infrastructure and so they got a kind of a jump start or, or a catch-up so will SailPoint following the right model with the identity now ultimately win I don't know I don't know. I don't think anybody knows for sure. I don't care. If you had asked me two years ago, like, would you prefer, you know, cloud or on-prem slash hosted? I would have said, yeah, it would make a lot more sense to go to the cloud. Now, I don't really care because I'm treating the service as an outcome. I don't care how the service gets delivered to me as long as it meets my requirements and needs. Just give me the thing that I like. However you guys want to figure it out behind the scenes, do whatever you want. Um, like I said, as long as it meets the, you know, the requirements that I've got, I could care less. If you took a look at, at access management, which I think is a lot simpler than governance, there's no way an on-prem product could compete with you know, the, the major cloud vendors. Yeah. You know, just take Okta, for example. No one's going to spin up a new on-prem access management system that's better. Well, I think that's where the challenge is for Ping then, right? So Ping Federa has traditionally been an on-premise type solution. They're trying to compete with Okta with Ping One. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the way that things have moved and moved out to the cloud and, you know, the edge is that internet kind of connection. So that's where they need to be. So they're paying a little bit of catch up on that. Um, anyway, I think we've beaten that horse. Well. That's what we do on this podcast. We, we beat, we beat horses. dead horses. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to get us. Uh, I told you I was going to go uh, somewhere. <laughs> not very good. All right. Well, let's, let's start to wrap this up then because I know we've been gone, going a little while here. I want to close out with a question for the three of you. And that is, what is something that you wish the business knew about IAM or the roles that you perform here that that just they don't know today that you wish they knew. And we'll start with Amanda, because she's like 
smiling at me. She's probably got like a list all like whiteboarded out. <laughs> I wish they knew our cap automation capabilities mm -hmm. and what we could do to help streamline their access provisioning. You know, a lot of people may need to cover for someone who's out of the office unexpectedly and they need access right away. And instead of it being a manual um, process, we could definitely streamline a lot of things for them. Mm. Marcy, you're up. I think the one thing that I want them to know is how important um, IAM is because I don't think the business always understands that. I think they just think, give me the access and, you know, I just need access, you know, and they don't understand that um, there's processes behind um, getting them that access. You know, we have um, the approvals and, um, you know, even the certifications. They, they don't understand all of the steps to get there. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think that if they were um, better informed um, and were able to maybe even just have us as a team go out and explain this to them, you know, individually as a, to teams, um, that it would be very helpful. Okay, that's a good one. And I would like, I guess, our business to know how capable our unit is. I think many times we're seen as just a practices and systems team that you know, all we do is provision access and we, we can do so much more. Mm -hmm. um, we've, we've taken on a lot of challenges recently um, and I believe that we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of good teams out there that are very good at what they do, but do not have enough senior push behind them to help organizations become aware of that capability. So that'll be my pitch out there as we kind of wrap up for this week is, you know, one, go uh, give some coffee cake to your fellow I, I, uh, ID admin people, uh, take care of them. They're doing hard work out there. But from an executive standpoint, recognize the value that those people are bringing to your organization and make sure that your peer set at the executive level understands why they're there, what they're doing and why it's important and to help push that forward for everybody. Anything else? No, I think this has been a good podcast. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate you guys taking the time to talk with us. Um, we had a great uh, time here, a lot of uh, good stories and things going on. I think as far as um, the show goes, appreciate everyone listening. I'll be at the RSA conference in a couple of weeks. So if you feel like uh, doing a fist bump or you know, shake hands or whatever it is. Who knows with the coronavirus, it may be, we may all be wearing masks at that point in San Francisco. I don't know what's going on, but um, feel free to send an uh, email to questions at identityofthecenter.com and uh, we'll be talking to you guys in the next one. Go Chiefs. Go Niners. Go Chiefs. <laughs> Go Packers. listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. For more episodes, visit identityatthecenter.com.